down the near sideline. Trinneman is there. Makes the catch at the 30, 20, 10, and just like that! Touchdown Cougars on the first play of the game! Takes it down the right side of the lane, right to the rim, scoop, and a score! It rolls around and drops down. Takes this free kick and curls it inside the left post. What a goal! He's been on the headset for the last quarter century of BYU sports. Now, he's on BYU Radio every week as we go behind the mic with Greg Rubel. Here's your host, the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rubel. Hello and good evening once again, Cougar Nation. Welcome back inside Studio 2 at the BYU Broadcasting Building on the BYU campus in Provo, Utah for another edition of Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. Our Wednesday sit-down with a trio of current and former Cougars in which we relive some of our favorite BYU sports memories and get to know the people behind those memorable moments. Glad you're tuning in live on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, BYURadio.org, or... And, and the BYU Radio app or via podcast on demand on either the Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel podcast on all major podcast platforms or via podcast from the Behind the Mic show page at byuradio.org, at which this program is also archived on a weekly basis, so lots of ways to listen in. In the next hour, we'll be discussing BYU football and Boise State Week with former Cougar quarterback and current BYU TV analyst Blaine Fowler. We'll hit the hardwoods with BYU sophomore forward Yoli Childs and revisit BYU's recent glory days on the gridiron with former Cougar tight end Johnny Harleen. Johnny's interview featured in our Catching Up with the Cougar segment, sponsored by BYU alumni. That's our lineup for this evening. And we tip things off on the eve of BYU Basketball Media Day with a look ahead to the season to come by chatting with one of the players I'm most excited to see in the 2017-18 campaign. A state championship high school hoopster at Bingham High School, Yoli Childs, was a highly sought-after prospect for years preceding his championship season as he rose to prominence to occupy a place in the ESPN Top 100 as a senior. When it came time for a college commitment, Yoli and BYU had a relatively late-blooming but quickly developing relationship that culminated in Yoli pledging to play for Dave Rose and the Cougars signing in November of 2016. His freshman season with the Cougars was outstanding. Just last year, he replaced an injured Kyle Davis to start 26 of 33 games played and was named to the West Coast Conference All-Freshman team in addition to earning scholastic honors on the WCC Commissioner's Honors Roll. He was also named as the team's most improved player after his rookie season. Yoli recorded five double-doubles as a freshman last season and had one of the best games a BYU freshman big man has ever had when he scored 23 points and pulled down 17 rebounds in a big win at San Francisco. Yoli Childs is preparing for even bigger and better things in his sophomore season, and he joins me now in Studio 2, behind the mic. Yoli, welcome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So we just pulled you out of Legends Grill uh, where you were having dinner. Uh, How's your day been today? Oh, it's been pretty good. Uh, It was our longest uh, sort of practice we had together as a team. I uh, went about an hour and a half today, and it was great. It was super competitive. The guys got after it, and the atmosphere and the feeling with this team this year is, is really unlike anything I've been a part of. It's it's pretty incredible. What makes it that way for you right now? Uh, I think just uh, the way we ran our summer this year was a lot of team building, a lot of pickup. And the way we're going to be playing this year is going to surprise a lot of BYU fans. Uh, we're, we're switching up our offense a little bit. Uh, we, we make a lot more reads and play a lot more free. And defensively, we're just really getting after it. So it's, it's been awesome. What's the casual fan going to notice right away about the differences, especially offensively? 
offensively, there's going to be a lot more shots that are within like the last 10 seconds of the shot clock, not necessarily just gunning it up the floor and taking the first available shot. We've kind of we trained ourselves this summer to pass up a good shot for a great shot, and the goal is to get the best shot in every possession. So that's going to that's gonna jump out for sure. Cougar tip-off, three weeks from tonight. Basketball media day tomorrow, so it's coming fast. It's, it's crazy. It always feels like it takes forever to get here until it's, until it's just right around the corner. It's, it's awesome. Where were you born, and where did you grow up? So I was born in Logan, Utah. My mom was a teacher at Utah State, so... She was teaching there, taking classes, and taking care of me and my brother. So I lived there for about seven years. Then we moved to Washington State for a couple of years. Whereabouts? Lived in uh, Mukilteo. It's about 30 minutes out of Seattle. South or no, north? I couldn't, I couldn't even you tell could, you. Okay. I was, right. Suburb, I was a suburban kid. Seattle. Outside kid. of Seattle. All right. But I uh, lived there for a little bit and then moved back to Utah, moved up to uh, the Orem area, moved to Salt Lake, and eventually landed in South Jordan where I spent my middle school and high school years. So a lot of moving around until you settled in there in the south part of the valley, and that's where you uh, uh, became a basketball player of renown. You mentioned your brother, and that's it, right? It's you and your brother. Yeah. Yep. What's it been like to have one sibling and have it be uh, a brother that you're really close to? Uh, and by the way, how close are you in age? We're 16 months apart. So very so, close yeah, that 16 way. 16 months younger than me. Uh, it's awesome. My brother's my best friend. It's, it's one of the coolest things about being so close to home. I'm about 40 minutes from my house, and... It's awesome. I, I don't go a week without seeing him, without hanging out with him. He'll come down here. I'll go up there. But that's my best friend. We we talk about everything. He knows he knows more about me than I know about me. Like we're we're super close. It's what's awesome. what's his first name? Massey. Massey. Yeah. How do you spell that? M A S A Y. Massey. And uh, you told me off air before the show he works in a clothing store in Salt Lake. Yeah. So he uh, he works at PacSun. He's starting to make some music. It's pretty incredible. And then he he models too. Wow. So you told me last year, one of our pregame interviews, um, that uh, your brother, had he chosen to go into athletics, would have been great there because he's supernaturally athletic, but his interests take him other places. And that's totally cool with you, and you really admire what he has found to be his um, his strong spots and, and what he's chosen to develop, right? Yeah, no question. I mean, when I was younger, it was a little frustrating with me because he was so good naturally. Athletically, like, you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. like. If you think I if you think I can jump or I'm a decent athlete, he's way better than me. He can he could fly. He got his first dunk when he was about 15, and then got his first 360 within the month of his first dunk. So he's a freak athlete, but that's just not what he loves. And I mean, everybody's got to do what they love. What's the point in doing something you're good at if you're not having fun? So he's he's chasing his dream and chasing what he loves, and I admire him for that. Younger than you by 16 months or older? Yeah, younger. Yeah, younger by 16 months. So um, wh- when did you get the sense that uh, that you guys might have divergent paths when it came to athletics? Uh, when I was like 10, because I just, I loved it. I'd be in the gym all day long. Like I would, I would go to the gym after school and have my mom come pick me up at 10 at night when it was time for bed. I, I just loved it. And he didn't love it like that. And that's okay. So it wasn't his thing. It was your thing. And you guys grew up uh, quite well getting along with that difference between you, though, right? Oh, no question. We we hung out all the time. He would come in when I was middle school, high school. He would just come in and rebound for me while I was shooting. So everything we did, we did together. He always supported you. Always. always. Did, did you find that coaches of yours tried to have you work on him to say, hey, get him to, get him to you know, come join the team or get him to you know, be a part of this? Yeah, all the time. All the time. The basketball coaches wanted him to play. 
the baseball coaches wanted him to play, <laughs> the football coaches wanted him to play, but he just wasn't his thing. You told me last year that music is his thing. You mentioned it again a moment ago. Um, if he wants to really be serious about it, is he going to go somewhere with that, do you think? Or is I, it more of, an, more of a hobby for him? No, I think so. I think no question. He's, he's definitely going to be the, the more famous one out of the two. He's, he, I think he's going to blow up pretty, pretty soon here. Um, your mom, it sounds like she raised the two of you by herself. Is that accurate? Or, yes. yes. Um, what would you share with our audience about uh, the role your mom has played in, uh, in raising you and your brother? Yeah, I could I could talk about my mom forever. We went out to lunch today. Uh, as as you can see, I'm super close with my brother and my mom, and she's she's really my hero. My mom means the world to me. I'd do anything for her. Uh, just like the courage she showed growing up, being a single mom, taking care of two kids, and always putting us in the best situations to succeed is is unbelievable to me. She's the best person I know. I've I've never been around anyone like my mom. Like she's really my hero. She became a teacher uh, when me and my brother were young, based on the fact that she could be there for us. She wanted to be do a job where she could take us to school and pick us up and spend time with us when we got home. And the sacrifices she made for me and my brother to get to the positions we're in today are unbelievable. I w- I wouldn't be here without her. I wouldn't be a college athlete without her. I wouldn't have the the passion and the drive I have for what I do without her. She's she's really my inspiration. There's times I'll I'll be in the gym shooting, I'll be working out, and that's what I think about. To be honest, to get to that next level when I'm when I'm trying to condition or all that kind of stuff, I just think about like my mom has worked way too hard for me to not work even harder right now. So she's she's my she's my everything really. She's your inspiration. Yeah, no question. Does she still uh, live in your what you call your family home in uh, in South Jordan, or is she still there? Yeah, they live in South Jordan right now. Okay, so 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 she and Masay still live where you grew up, or I guess your house when you went to high school, then, right? Yeah, they uh, they just moved about a year ago, but so. same area ish. Yeah, same yeah. area. Okay, um, and uh, when she, she since she was a teacher, uh, that gave her, I would think, summers usually off, right? To, no, no, nope, nope. She she, uh, she would do summer school. Oh, make, she kept yep. working all the way through. Make a little extra money, get us through stuff. So it's crazy. Nineteen years, sacrificed so much for us. So can't wait for the day I can pay her back. What's she doing now? Uh, is she still educating? Or uh, last year was actually her last year of teaching, and she's trying to get into programming right now. So we'll see where it goes with that. But I'm excited for her to switch things up a little bit. When you talk about paying her back, you mean uh, kind of figuratively and, and literally a little bit too, hoping to support what she supported for so many years? Oh, absolutely. Pay her back in any way I can, any way I can. So hopefully I can work hard enough there and get to the places I want to be in my future where I can make that happen, make that a reality. Was she at all your games all the time? Always. My mom, from the time I was like eight years old till now, has maybe missed three games. Other than the away games, of course, but every game. We'd play 100 games a year when I was in, like, fifth, sixth, seventh grade. She was at every single one on the scores table doing <laughs> stats, working the clock. So she's, she's wild. When I, actually, the reason I moved to South Jordan was because the team I was playing for was located in South Jordan, and I lived in the Orem area. And that was just the, the team I wanted to be a part of, the team that uh, – that kind of had the best players. Was this the travel, the AAU team? Yeah, or, my, yeah. yeah my AAU team. When I, was just, when I was just a kid. And she would drive me from Orem to South Jordan. She would drive 40 minutes to practice, 
wait in the car until I finished practice, go out. My brother would come sometimes. They'd go out, do whatever they wanted to do up in the South Jordan Salt Lake area, wait till I was done with practice, pick me up, drive me all the way back home, do it again a couple days later. It's, it's pretty incredible. Hmm. That was the support you had. Yeah. And uh, AAU is, I mean, that's a, that's a time commitment. It's a financial commitment. There's a lot that goes into that. Yeah, no question. I mean, she really just, everything was about putting us in the best situations. Me and my brother went to private school for a couple of years. How she made that all work, I have no idea, but she did. And that's like I said, I can never thank her enough. It's, it's pretty incredible what she did. What kind of sports mom is she during games? Oh, she's crazy. <laughs> she's crazy. She's <laughs> she's gotten a lot better. So she's she's mellowed out a lot. But when I was a little kid, she was wild. Oh my gosh! Is there a story? There's a million stories. <laughs> a million. Once I, I don't want to. I can't embarrass my mom on the air like this. I can't do it. But she's passionate. She's she's passionate. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah. So uh, when did you start playing AAU? I started playing when I lived in Washington in third grade. So that was my first team, and then I came down to Utah in fourth grade and kind of stuck with the same team all the way until I was 16. And then that's when I joined Utah Prospects, the travel team that's mm-hmm. local here. They're on the Adidas circuit. And so I, I played with that organization for a long time. Were you always basketball and only basketball? Was that like you're just zeroed in on sport, or did you kind of spread around a little bit? I played football a little bit. I played football until about seventh grade. I was honestly probably better at football, but I just loved basketball. I had a passion for it. What would you have played if you'd played high school or college football? So... I was too big when I was a kid. They have like the X Men rules here, so I was a I was a D line. I was a D end. But if I could play now, I'd play tight end, no question. Right on. So uh, from basically middle school into high school, you're you're pretty much focused in on basketball, right? Yeah. Uh, at Bingham, uh, you guys made the quarterfinals as a sophomore and a junior, right? Yeah. And then won it all as a senior. What pushed you guys through in your last year? What made the difference? Uh, I think we just. We kind of put it all together as a team. We had a couple things missing my my sophomore and junior year. Uh, And just the kind of person and player I am, I I definitely put that on myself. Uh, I I grew a lot as a leader between my junior and senior year. I kind of figured out what buttons you can push with certain guys to to push dudes to that next level. And, oh, man, I'm so competitive. I still think about that. Like, if I could have been better at that kind of stuff my junior year, we would have won it. That still bothers me. But – I think we just we had a lot of good leaders on that team. Uh, coach Schroeder at Bingham High School is is unbelievable. I'm, I was so lucky to have him as a high school coach. He put he put us in great situations. He got us traveling and playing some of the top teams in the country. So, just from a leadership standpoint, from myself, the other players on the team, and a coach, we just we got everything clicking. State championship as a senior. Uh, the recruiting process by then was uh, you know well well into being you know wrapped up and and you were recruited by BYU but um they weren't so hev- they knew about you and they wanted to know that they were that they were aware of you but it um maybe they didn't feel like it was coming back the other way is that accurate to say and how long did it take for things to kind of get to a point where it was serious yeah for sure they they started recruiting me when I was about 15 16 years old and I just I wasn't interested to be honest I didn't think I was going to stay in Utah. I, I kind of wanted to go far. I wanted to go East Coast maybe. But as I got uh, further and further in the process, I had some coaches, high school AAU that, that I trusted 
that just kind of said like, yo, I know, uh, I know it's kind of weird. I know you don't really, you're not really interested, but I think you'd be a great fit with BYU. And you were at the LDS at the time, right? No, I wasn't. I wasn't. So I started watching them play a little bit, watching some of their games and people would tell me how I'd fit in here and there. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I want to go, uh, look more into this. So I text coach Lacombe and was like, Hey, what, what, what can I do to come on a visit? I think that was like a, Wednesday I want to say and he was like come down Friday so came down met the coaching staff and that's that's probably the number one reason I came here is the staff he's just great men really good coaches coach Rose is unbelievable do you think coach Rose was kind of surprised you set this up like do you think he was kind of surprised that you were kind of coming back to say I I think so I think so but they they never gave up They, they they called me all the time texted me all the time but they're just great dudes I last Christmas uh I was at Little Combs family's house. I go over there for Sunday dinners and stuff every once in a while. So we have really great coaches here, but even better men. So it's really a, really a blessing to be here. I know you love the guys, your teammates on the team, and that's a part of it too. But I know the coaches made a big impression on you, as you just shared. And, and Coach Rose, I remember telling me about your recruitment, that he thought it, was, um, it, it stood out in that you – um, were not concerned about or afraid of competition with good players. You wanted to be around and compete with good players, and that was a big thing for you. Absolutely. Uh, no no shade at any of the other schools that are recruiting me, but uh, there's a lot of programs out in the country where basketball is, is lower on the priority list than it should be to a lot of these kids. Uh, a lot of guys are going out partying, trying to get girls, all that stuff. And when I came to BYU, I could see the culture here was just – guys that want to get better, and I love that. I played against guys like TJ in high school, and getting to know some of the guys on my visit and just seeing what they were all about was uh, exactly what I'm about, and it's just getting better, focusing on basketball, getting your grades right, getting basketball right, and uh, staying right off the court, whether you're LDS or not. Most of the dudes on the team are, are religious in some way, and those are their top three priorities, and that was really important to me, and that's why I think we're going to be so good this year and in years to come is every single guy on this team wants to get better, and that's that's pretty amazing. You'd think that's how it is everywhere, but BYU is a pretty special place. I mentioned in my intro that you had both an on-court and an off-court honor from the WCC this past year, one's for basketball, one's for academics. Um, did that mean something to you when you got placed on the honor roll by the league? I mean, uh, a big thing for me in my life is I think being well-rounded is so important. And it's not necessarily that I love school. Um, I don't know many people that love school. But I know that I need to be on top of all things in my life so I don't have any distractions going on. I know I'm not going to be the best basketball player I can be if I'm not doing well in the classroom and if I'm not doing well with with my religion, if I'm not doing well with the church. And I know I'm not going to grow as a person if I'm not focusing on all three of those things. And I feel like when I'm focusing on all three of those things, there's, there's no room for distractions. There's no room for, for negative things in my life, and that's very important to me. You committed to BYU as a non-LDS player, but you started your freshman season as an LDS player. Yeah. Something happened there in between, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, after I committed, I started going to – I started looking into the church a little bit just to see what it was all about. And uh, I decided, you know what, like – if I'm going to look into this, I'm going to take it seriously. And Moroni's promise it tells you if you live live the, com- the commandments, if you live right, 
if you read your scriptures every day and you ask God if this is true, then you're going to get your answer. And that's exactly what I did. I I just tried to live as, as well as I could. I read my scriptures every day. I think I read the Book of Mormon in a little under two months. I was I was obsessed with it. I couldn't put it down. I didn't have like a an aha moment or anything like that. But I think somewhere in Alma, I was just like, there's no way some little kid in New York made this up. There's no way. And just the way the way it made me feel, I knew it was it was something I wanted in my life. And I kind of made that decision a little bit before I came to BYU that all right, like I really believe that this church is true and it's something it's something that has a positive influence in my life and I wanted I wanted to be a part of it. And I don't know what it was, probably just cuz it was it's such a big decision. Uh but I just it didn't happen for a couple months. And when I got here, Eric Mika came up to me and was like, "Hey, I was just wondering uh, how do you feel about the church? I know, I know you're not LDS. Uh, is it kind of weird? Like, how do you feel about being here? Why you? What was the main reason you came here? And probably to his surprise, I was like, Oh, I love the church. I, I think it's true. Like, I'm probably gonna get baptized. I've already read the Book of Mormon. Yeah, I've, I've read the Book of Mormon. It was it was amazing. He was like, What? Okay, well, we need to get you in with the missionaries. Like, ASAP. you know, they call you a golden investigator, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> But uh, he's like, we need to get you meeting with the missionaries ASAP. I was like, no, I don't need to do that. I'll just go get baptized. I already know it. I already know the stuff. He's like, no, there's just a, there's a, there's a procedure you got to follow. And Eric was so cool with all that stuff. He, uh, he set me up with the missionaries. I had a trio of sisters, which was really awesome. And he would come to every single meeting. I think he missed one meeting. And in the first one, we, we end the meeting. And one of the sisters, it was uh, Sister Siva, one of my favorite people ever. She said, uh, she was like, okay, so are you ready to get baptized? I was like, whoa. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I am. And it was, I think, July, around like July 10th, I want to say. She was like, all right, July 30th. I was like, whoa, three weeks? All right, you guys are the, you guys are the missionaries. You guys are the ones called of God, so let's do it. And that's what it was, July thirtieth. Yep. yep, July thirtieth. Then within a few weeks, you're at BYU and you're starting life as a student and a basketball player. And when you look back at that time, the summer into the fall, and then that entire freshman season, what stands out most to you from looking back, really at this last year? I guess I'd say. Man, I uh, I feel like I've just grown so much from the experiences we had last year. Just just being on the court and and getting getting the playing time and the the starting role that I did, uh, you really you can get a lot of reps and practice and that kind of thing. But just getting out there on the floor in the packed Marriott Center when when the pressure's on, uh, it just it just teaches you how to grow and improve as a player so much. I think I was a totally different player at the end of the season than I was at the beginning of the season, and uh, hopefully I can show that. I've made that same type of growth from the end of the season till now, so I'm very excited for this year. Did you have an arrival moment last year in your freshman year where it hit you that uh, this is where you belong and you can do it at the D1 level and it's going to come for you and this is uh, and this is how it's all going to happen? I don't know if I had a moment, but the summer the summer really shaped me uh, in in the way I thought about myself as a player when I first came in here. I thought I was pretty good. I thought I was great. And I played Eric Mika and Kyle Davis every day for 
about four weeks, and it took me three weeks to win a game. They just they just kicked my butt every day. I was like, wow. So this is this is what D1 level is all about. Eric, we all know he's a beast. Kyle, he actually won most of them. Hopefully Eric doesn't hear this, but <laughs> Kyle won most of them. He is one of the most skilled posts I've played with. But every day they'd beat up on me, and then we would talk about it, and they would they would tell me tips and tricks and ways I could improve my game. And playing against those two, by the time the season rolled around, I was like, all right, now that I can play with these two, I can play with anybody. Nine points, eight rebounds a game, around 55% from the field. It's pretty darn good. Gets you on the all-freshman team in the WCC. What can fans expect out of you and out of BYU in 2017-18? Well, out of our team, I think uh, we can expect just just basically a team that plays together really well. Uh, A lot of times last year, I thought we, we had a good year, not a great year. But a lot of times last year, we were a little stagnant. It was kind of just thrown into Eric and play out of that this year there's so much freedom and it's all about reads and we've learned so well how to play with each other and all the new guys so I think you'll, th- you'll see a team that that plays really well together offensively but a team that loves to defend a team that that really takes pride on that side of the floor and just the the different ways we're playing defense uh, will help us a ton this year and then individually I think I've I've expanded my game a lot uh I can stretch the floor now. I feel like I, I stretch the floor pretty well. I can take the ball up the court, handle it a little bit, play multiple positions. So I think I've definitely become a more well-rounded player. You've been working on your vertical since the season ended. What are you up to right now? Um, I'm last tested 37.5-inch approach vert. And last season I was about 34.5-35. So I've put on a little bit since last year. Every time I come watch you guys play, you're dunking everything. And uh, at least it feels like it to me. Um, it's been fun to see. And you say you, your your shot's a little deeper this year, too? Yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. Just a ton of reps. A ton of reps. How's, uh, how's life with Coach Schroyer? It's it's awesome. He's unbelievable. Uh, I didn't know what to expect when we first got him, but it's a blessing to have him on this team. He's He knows what he's doing. He brings a toughness and energy every single day. We'll show up to practice at 6.30 in the morning, and he's he's on top of it. He's on you. And he's not afraid to hold anyone accountable. One of my one of my favorite things in the summer was, I uh, we're doing like a five on zero thing, and I went up, tried to I went up like windmill or something, and I missed the dunk. And he stops practice and he's like, "Yo, miss another dunk." Everyone's getting on the line and we're just running for the rest of practice. I couldn't help but smile. I was like, "All right, this dude's a real deal." <laughs> called my I called my AU coach after. I was like, "Man, Schroyer is awesome. Like he he holds everyone accountable." And there's just an intense energy when, when he's in the gym. So we're very lucky to have him. You know, he was literally coaching at BYU before you were born, right? Yeah, yeah. So he's he's been around the block. He knows what he's doing. He's been in a lot of places. And he's he's just a great dude. And, and you've been around a little bit here at BYU, but you told me before the uh, the show, off the air, you are literally the youngest player on this team. You're not a freshman. You are a sophomore, but you are the youngest guy on this team. Is that right? That's what uh, missions and transfers will do. So I'm the I'm the baby of the group. Well, he's big baby. He's going to be awesome this year. Uh, Yoli, thanks for coming in and chatting tonight on Behind the Mic. It's been a pleasure.
Appreciate you having me on. All right. That's Yoli Childs. Uh, BYU Basketball Media Day tomorrow. And the Cougar tip-off intra-squad game is three weeks from tonight. It's getting going. That's Yoli Childs. Coming up next, a little football talk with former BYU quarterback and current BYU TV analyst Blaine Fowler. And then former tight end Johnny Harleen to finish our hour. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. You're listening on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, BYURadio.org, and the BYU Radio app. We're back with Blaine Fowler right after this. Welcome back to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. All right, so we welcome you back inside Studio 2 by welcoming back and welcoming in the former BYU signal caller, the pride of Elmira, New York, and father of BYU special teamer, Gavin Fowler. He's Blaine Fowler. Blaine rejoining us for the first time since the second week of this show. This is show number 10. Blaine, welcome back behind the mic. It's good to be here, man. I'm glad I could battle that traffic coming down from Salt Lake City. I'm glad I don't have to do that every day. Was it a mess today? Oh, it's bad today. Glad you made it in. So, uh, first of all, I mentioned uh, mentioned your son. Uh, maybe some folks don't actually know because he doesn't get a lot of pub. I tend to mention him on my call because, you know, he's holding. And But uh, tell us uh, about your son and uh, what he's doing this year with the Cougs. So he is uh, – hopefully his role is expanding as we go now. He's finally feeling 100%. So he's coming back from ACL reconstruction, his second in two years. So he tore uh, the his ACL two years ago um, during spring ball, rehabbed – Recovered, came back, and then uh, last year, in in the week between the Arizona and Utah games, he re he hurt the other one, tore the other one, got tangled up with Butch Powell and, and a drill, and uh, and then rehabbed it for a year and just came back. So he's coming back from back to back ACL reconstructions, which is an amazing thing. A lot of folks would just go, "I'm done," um, but he hasn't, and um, he he just passed the year mark. Had some swelling early on through fall camp and all that, but he's finally. This week, in fact, no swelling and feeling 100%. And so he's been a starting holder. Right. He's um, also DB, though, right? Yep. He yeah. plays defensive back. And, and uh, now that he's 100% and swelling's gone and all that, he can start to you know, get back into kind of playing form with all the explosion that he used to have. And, and hopefully he's backing up. He's, he gets reps in practice as defensive back. And he's been backing up on a lot of the other special teams. And then he's more, as he's more healthy, he'll be able to contribute more in other areas where he's got to run. We're... Right now, an important role. You got to get that ball down yeah. and get it up. So, for someone who's been under the radar a little bit and rehabbing a lot of this time, how did he emerge to earn a spot as the holder and a pretty important special teams role? You know, it's it's funny because he did he was holding last year um, before the injury, and he built up a trust with with all the kickers, and it, it's a pretty um, important skill set to be able to have because you got to be able to get it down, and you've got to be able to get the strings, you know, the laces away where the kickers want it, and tilt it just right. Um, and he has a unique skill set, and that is he worked with these kickers so much because when he was hurt, he couldn't run. So he wanted to do something. So he goes over to the kickers and says, let me hold. Let me do a bunch of stuff. Let me do what I can do with this injured knee. He holds for both the left-footed and the right-footed kickers. So he can hold either hand. And at Lamb hmm. at the beginning of the season said, yeah, Gav, you're obviously the guys. The guys are mo- the guy. The guys are most confident with you, and the last thing you want to do is mess with the kicker's confidence, right? So we're going to put the guy out there that they're most confident with. But what about for Corey? You know, he's left-footed, and, you, and Gavin goes, no, I hold both hands. And Ed said, really, you hold both hands? And Corey's like, yeah, he's the best one for the left-footed kickers, too. And Ed goes, all right, then. You just hold for whoever's out there. And so he's, that's a unique, uh, a unique skill to be able to hold left-handed or right-handed, which he's, he's developed. And I, and I believe it was 
when you can't go out and run, you want to feel feel like there's some way you can contribute. So you go over the kickers and you start holding, and he developed a really good skill set with it. I should remember this, but back when you were playing, who was holding? Gosh, I'm trying to remember who was holding. Because it wasn't it wasn't you, right? No, yeah. no, I didn't hold. Um, Mike Holmgren, he didn't want the backup quarterbacks to be holding. Because I've called games where the backup QB is the holder for a yeah, lot for teams. Mike, Mike never believed in that. He he felt like no, that's a vulnerable position where people can take shots. But here's the crazy thing: I was the backup long snapper. No. Yes, I was the backup long snapper. We were struggling to find eighty-four and, and eighty. But, but your last mm-hmm. two years, yeah. And I'm, I'm telling you, we had we had Jay Shumway, Reagan Hansen when I was in my earlier years, and then Jay Shumway, who were phenomenal long snappers. But we just couldn't find anybody else that could do it. And so one day at practice, I walked over and said, uh, "It's just throwing upside down. I can do this." And so <laughs> so I did a couple of them. And Tom Ramage goes, "You're the guy." Like, what do you mean I'm the guy? Because you come out every day to special teams. You're the backup long snapper. You're the only guy that can do it, especially for punt. So I start practicing, and I'm doing it. And one day, Holmgren comes over. He goes, what are you doing? And I said, I'm the backup long snapper. He goes, no, you are not. And Tom Ramage goes, yeah, no, he is. We don't have anybody else can do it. He is the backup guy. I really didn't want to get in because back in those days, you could hit the long snapper. There was, no, there, was, did, there was no time elapsed. Neither did Holmgren. Could, yeah. so, so I remember sometimes when Jay Shumway would get dinged a little bit, running down trying to cover a punt. I'd be the first guy to run down the sideline. Jay, you okay, man? Hey, trainers, get over here. Yeah. Come look at Jay. He can't be out because I do not want to go into the game and do this. And Holmgren's like, he's okay, right? You're not going in, right? And I go, no, I'm not going in and doing that. And you never did go in? But but in 84 and 85, I was the backup long snapper, and I did not get – I never had to do a snap in a game. But it's on your resume. It's there. All right, so uh, let's fast forward. Uh, 2017, and the last time we talked to you, BYU was 0-0. Zero and zero. Now they're 1-4. and four. And Boise State week it is, and the Broncos come in at a two and two, and uh, and and uptight because the last game they played they got smoked at home, which doesn't happen by Virginia a bye week, and now BYU, which they get fired up for anyway. It's as good a build up in terms of two teams that really need a game. Um, as any we've had in a while, and I said the same thing last week because I thought BYU needed USU as bad as they now need BSU. Uh, but truly, I mean, time is is clipping along here. You've got eight games left to find the games you need to you know make the postseason if that's going to happen. But just to get a reward for the work they've dealt through a lot of pain and turmoil, literal pain and and turmoil. Man, they they really need a positive result. Well, they they have got to get a win, especially here at home. And 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 you you have I think already documented that the home team lately in this series wins. And uh, these are two teams that are pretty evenly matched. And last week I felt like BYU was going to overmatch Utah State, and they did. If you they did enough, and this sounds like the major the biggest cop out in the world, but of the things they thought they'd be able to do well, they did well against Utah State. The Bohaj injury threw him for a loop, and it affected things definitely, but you just don't account for minus six in the margin. And yeah. that and that is the that is the game story. Yeah, that and that's typically you can't point to one thing as a reason you lose a game. Typically, when you're minus three in turnovers, you go, yeah, that's why we lost it. Then you go watch the film and you go, oh, you know what, we didn't do that well up front, and we didn't do this, and we didn't do that. So there's multiple reasons we lost this game. In this game, and I watch every play on film for our AFR show, that is the single reason they lost the game. I know I shouldn't say crap on BYU TV, or on BYU radio, they beat the crap out of Utah State up front. Where they hoped on, to. On both sides they of the football, yeah. they absolutely manhandled Utah State. Did whatever they wanted, which was what they thought they could do. They thought that they could get over the top on Utah State with, with you know, get some big plays. They had guys run by. You know, we had, they, did, Trin- they didn't hit Trinaman. Right. They did get Tanner, and then they did hit Trinaman for a 39-yarder right. so later in the game. They got, they got a couple. They had another opportunity for a touchdown. So, so you go back to it and you go, this game was only about 
turnovers. Now, you can't take credit away from the Aggies because they forced those turnovers. They came up and they smacked the running backs. And, you know, you had quarterbacks that weren't veterans in there, you know, making, making throws. A quarterback in Coy that was making some throws that probably shouldn't have been made as I watched the film. But he's inexperienced, didn't have enough reps. So it came down to that and that only. It was turnovers. And rarely can you say it's one thing in a football game, but it was. So the positive you take away from that, if there is some kind of a positive, is they looked way better up front. They looked better in the run game. Now, they weren't playing against the talent that they played when they're playing Wisconsin or Utah, for that matter, or LSU. But that's what most of the rest of the season is going to look exactly. like. Exactly. And Boise State is, does not have yeah. the talent that Wisconsin or LSU or Utah has up front. They're better, I feel, physically than Utah State. But BYU hopefully doesn't go minus six in turnover margin. I think they win the Utah State game minus three in turnover margin. In this one, I think they need to be even or plus in that turnover margin because Boise State, even though I don't feel, as I watch them on film, they're not as physical up front as they've been, especially on the offensive line. They've and then struggled. there's a lot of novelty. I, I had to change out a lot of names from last year to this year on the O-line. And on the defense, almost none of the names that were really prominent last year are back on this year's board. There's a lot of newness, and they're not – and. The coach promised after the last game changes. They're they're they're, they're wanting to make changes because they don't feel right at two and two. Yeah, especially offensively, they're not running the football. Boise State. I know when you think of Boise State, you think of throwing it around and trick plays, but they've always been really efficient running the football with NFL running backs. And against and against BYU, whether it's McNichols or Ajayi, for the last five games in the part of this in this new series, for the last five games they've had they, they've had a hundred yard rusher against BYU, and right now that game's not there for them. Their best rusher is the number two quarterback right now, so it's. Not a typical Boise State team in a lot of ways, and so it's as even, perhaps you could say, offensively um, as you'd like it to be, considering the struggles BYU's had on offense. So uh, I, I, very similar in the run game. I, I think BYU found an answer last week for the run game, and I think they will run the ball against Boise State. And Boise is not as big up front as they've been in the past. They're inexperienced at linebacker. And the last two teams have run well on Boise. Both New Mexico and Virginia have gotten after right. gotten after Boise. So, that way. so I, I like the matchup. But here's what Boise State brings to every game they play in, even when they're two and two. This is an unbelievably well-coached football team year in and year out. They prepare well. They don't make a lot of mistakes. They scheme extremely well for the teams they're playing against. They try to take away what you do best and take advantage of what you do worst. And it's a confident football team. Even when they're 2-2, two and two, they have this history of winning, of rising to the occasion in big games. There's enough of a core of players that have experienced that in the past that they're coming down here and they think they're supposed to win. And... That's a big deal in football because when you play with confidence and you act like you can win and you really believe that, you play faster. You don't hesitate. You play downhill. You play more aggressive. And that those are marquee characteristics of every Boise State team. Now, they're not as talented as they've been, but they still do all of those things really well, and that always gives you a chance. They're not bad defensively. They're struggling offensively, but this is a game that if BYU takes care of the football, they should be in the game, even if they don't have Tanner Mangan back playing. But if they can manage the football, get some run game going, I think that Boise State's going to have a hard time moving it on the ground against BYU. And and to that point, the other way, I almost never look at possession time as, as a really meaningful stat because teams can do well without it. But I think for this BYU team to show they've made the progress in the areas we're talking about, they should have a possession time edge in this kind of game. And they haven't had it yet. They're, they've played five games. They haven't had the edge in any of the games. Even Portland State had more possession time. It's not the most, but I think for BYU now, because of what they're trying to do, just staying on the field, moving chains, and not ending with giveaways means 
they could actually result uh, with the edge, and I think it gives them a better shot to, to win this game on uh, on Friday. One of the things I'll look for, not the only thing, certainly, because there are more important things, but that's a signal to me that they've fixed some of the things they said are fixable. Absolutely. Think, think about Utah State. The way they're running the football, if they don't give Utah State seven extra possessions, they would have dominated time of possession in this game. The, that was the nature of the way it was right. going at the beginning of the mm-hmm. game. And so, so turnovers are, are paramount in this. And you know what? Sometimes, Greg, it's not just about turnovers. It's the type of turnovers. Are they, I call them terminal turnovers. Do you turn it over deep in your own territory and give them a short field? Which And the answer is yes this do, year for yeah, BYU. Do you turn them over do and you know, give them pick sixes? Right. And, and BYU's done that. So do you know the average line of scrimmage? For the turnovers BYU's had on its side of the field. No, what is it? It's the 32-yard line. I see, that kills Okay, you. so you've had 13 turnovers. 12 of the 13 have been on the BYU side. And of those 12, the average LOS is 32. And BYU's defense has been good enough to, to manage a lot of those to field goals. Think about it. Yeah. If you turn the ball over, say you're, you're playing Boise State, and your defense is solid, and you go down and you fumble the football on their 40, your team now has – they can even give up one first down and force a punt. But – Let's let's reflect back to the Utah State game. Two pick sixes. There's 14 points. They had two field goals on which they zero, went backwards. zero yards of total offense. Or negative, so, yeah. So there's 20 points on negative yards yeah. of total offense. If you give up 20 points, I always I always uh, uh, affiliate scores to total yardage. You know, it's like, okay, what, what's, you know, what does that usually look like? When I see 40 points, I think 500 yards to 600 yards of total offense. It was 280-something. Yeah, not 288. No. 288, I think 14 to 17 yeah. points, not 40. It was so, an atypical game that way. So don't turn the football over. Play a little smash mouth. Knock that defense off the football. I think the offensive line is coming along. Use Ula as a physical weapon. Wear them down. T- whoever's playing quarterback, if, especially if it's not Tanner, put them in situations to make easy single reads or take off of the football so they don't throw the ball into coverage. And, and I, Steve Young uh, was on Sports Nation earlier this week, and I was listening because he was on right after I was and was listening to Steve, and he said something I thought was really, really great. He said, you know when I talk to young quarterbacks in the NFL that are getting their first start or a young guy in college that's a backup, I tell them, listen, you know what your job is? To not be the reason you lose the football game. Like, when you go in there at quarterback, your job is not to win the game. It's the seniors around you and the juniors around you that have all this experience that when the backups in there have to raise their level and win the game. Your job is not to be the the, the reason they lose it. Manage it, take care of the football, execute the easy plays, take easy throws, and don't lose the football game. And so if it's Tanner, you know what? But coming back off of an injury, maybe that advice is good advice for Tanner as well. Yeah. So Well, there's your winning formula, and uh, look for Johnny Harleen at all times. Oh, dang it, he's not here, but he is coming up next. After Blaine Fowler, we'll talk with Johnny Harleen, and that will be our final guest on Behind the Mic. Blaine, good stuff. We could have gone with this for a much longer time, uh, breaking it down, but uh, that's the good stuff on Boise State, and uh, appreciate you coming in. We'll do it again uh, in a few weeks down the road. Always good to be with you. Thank you, Blaine. That's Blaine Fowler. Johnny Harleen, the former BYU tight end, is coming up next to wrap up this week's show on Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel. You are tuned in on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, byuradio.org, and the BYU Radio app. We'll talk with Johnny. I think he's live in Las Vegas after this on BYU Radio. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. Back with more. With the BYU license plates, no matter where you are, you show your cougar spirit and you make it possible for students to get an education. The donation you make when you get the license plates goes to support BYU scholarships. So whether spreading cougar pride coast to coast or getting to the big game, 
You're also funding scholarship opportunities for BYU students. Learn about free special plates today at alumni.byu.edu slash plates. Welcome back to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. Well, for some time, it appeared that Johnny Harleen was destined to be known as a standout high school and college basketball player, not football player. Of course, once he started playing both sports in high school, he was good enough to project next-level success on both the hardwoods and the gridiron. A knee injury cut short his hoops career, but football stardom would follow both in the junior college and major college settings, the last three seasons of which were spent at BYU. After spot duty as a sophomore in 2004, the 2005 and 06 seasons saw Johnny emerge as a primetime playmaker, earning first-team all-conference honors in both seasons and first-team All-America citations as a senior. In his last two seasons, he recorded 121 catches, almost 1,800 yards, 17 touchdowns, one of which will be remembered just a little better than all the others, probably. His senior season saw him lead all tight ends nationally in touchdowns and receiving yards in being named a semifinalist for the Mackey Award. After one post-BYU season in the NFL, another injury signaled the end to his football career. And now, tonight, here we are, a decade later, catching up with Johnny Harleen in our Catching Up with the Cougars segment sponsored by BYU Alumni. BYU Alumni, connected for good. Find your chapter and get connected at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. Johnny Harleen, welcome to Behind the Mic here on BYU Radio. Hey, thanks, Greg. I, I mentioned Las Vegas a minute ago. Are you, are you in Vegas right now? I am, yes. And that's where you live? How long have you been down there? Almost four years now. And uh, what are you doing down there? Uh, so I just, uh, we opened a Hokulia Shave Ice franchise down here, so I know it's well known up there in yeah. uh, Utah, and uh, so we have the only one down here right now, and I'm also working at uh, Challenger School. Love Challenger and, School. Uh, our, our two oldest kids went to Challenger four years. We, uh, we really endorse it. Oh, yeah. I love it. My daughter goes here, and uh, so, yeah, I started working here a few years ago as well. So What are you doing at Challenger? Uh, I'm, right now, I'm teaching fifth grade there. That's so cool. Your dad was a professor, history professor at BYU, but he must have been an educator before that, too. What's your dad's education background? Uh, Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, since I was little, he's been a history professor. He started at, uh, well, I I was born in New Jersey. Right. uh, When he was going to graduate school at Rutgers. He was getting his Ph.D. out there. Uh, And then his first job was at University of Idaho, the Vandals. So they were kind of my first favorite uh, team. And when I was uh, just going into fourth grade, he got the job to teach down at BYU. And so he's been down there ever since. His uh, scholastic and educational pursuits probably helped you be a well-read youngster, I would guess. Is that accurate? Uh, I would say so. At least, I mean, he tried, for sure. So. <laughs> your, 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 mom, your mom once called you poetic. Is that because you had a literal interest in poetry? Was that a thing for you when you were younger? Uh, not really, no. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe it's your athletics she thought was poetic when you were on the field. So uh, it, it, it could be that. I, you know, I'm a musician as well. Yeah. played guitar and piano since I was a kid, so that, that might... Uh... I could contribute to that. Last I time, I, last time I talked to you, that was still at a time when you were actually in a band. At the time, um, how long did that last? Is it still going? Are you still playing? How much does music still take up part of your life? Oh man, I'm playing all the time. Um, so, I mean, I was in a band up in Utah. We played some cool shows and things. Uh, opened for uh, some like 
bands still around from the 70s and 80s. Uh, we opened up for Brett Michaels from Poison one time. We've uh, who else was it? Slaughter. So some of these kind of 80s rock bands. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was, and, uh, was the name of your was it Perfect Disorder? What was the name of your band? Yeah, yeah, that was it. Okay. Uh, so that was that was a ton of fun. Uh, we moved down here, and uh, I've played. You know, I, I've played with some groups, gone to go do some jams and things like that. I've recently just been uh, writing kind of an album with uh, one of my coworkers here, who turns out is a really talented writer and singer. And uh, so we've been working on some stuff. And, you know, we're uh, working on filling out the rest of the band and going to play some shows and have some fun. Will it still be the same genre? I mean, what kind of music are you writing? It's rock and roll. I mean, I'm, I'm majorly influenced by, you know, a lot of the... Um, you know, classic rock bands like Led Zeppelin, uh, you know, classic rock blues. Um, so, you know, like I said, Led Zeppelin, Guns N' Roses, ACDC, Aerosmith. I love that stuff. I love a lot of old rock and roll as well. And, uh, you know, the old blues guys back in the 50s and 60s. So um, anyway, I just have a great time always playing guitar and uh, coming up with new stuff. So I think it'll be pretty cool. Well, look for it. The interests remain the same for you then musically, and that's kind of where you were. That's what you were doing and what you are uh, doing now. And so uh, now are we going to look for it under a a band name that's different or what's it going to be? Do you have that figured out yet? We don't know yet. We're trying to decide right now. Um, We were talking about it the other day. So that's yet to be determined. Okay, we will um, we will we'll be following, and hopefully, we'll get the news at some point on what's uh, next for you musically relative to the new ID. So, uh, Johnny, BYU fans are now uh, a, a decade removed, uh, a decade plus from your last days uh, as as a tight end. And in the introduction, I listed a lot of the accolades and accomplishments, and, and I I put in there that that one of your seventeen touchdowns gets thought of more than any other. Are you still okay with that? The fact that you are known for a play in a career that had so many great plays. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I do kind of think about a lot of plays that I made and there are a lot, there are plenty that to me personally um, kind of, I felt like were better accomplishments as far as football plays themselves, you mm-hmm. know, like, you know, athletically or technically or whatever. But um, I mean, you know, what more could you ask for as a, as a player than to you know have a, have a moment like that. And uh, so, I mean, I, I certainly couldn't, uh, begrudge anyone for remembering that more than any other i I mean that that was certainly the one where there was the most drama and tension and to be able to come through in a situation like that is uh is awesome so i mean you know i'm i'm certainly happy to be remembered at all and uh you know for something like that I, i couldn't complain now because you are down in vegas maybe it happens less frequently how often would you say that that play the beck to harleen thing comes up in your daily life yeah, not as much as when I'm up in Utah, certainly. Um, it, it does every once in a while, especially, you know, with church and things like that. Um, so it's it's still a part of it. Uh, you know, I get social media and things that will come up. So, yeah, um, yeah it, it's still definitely around. <laughs> you know, as I talked about your years, um, you know, I, I, it kind of glossed over the fact that you, you were at Rick's before you were at BYU. You, you played at Rick's in their last season of athletics, mm-hmm. right? 
Yeah. So, and, and, you know, it worked out perfectly. Um, <laughs> I didn't have any offers from division one schools coming out. Uh, I had a few junior college offers and, you know, I, I went up to Rick's with like several other kids from uh, my high school and uh, a couple surrounding high schools. And, you know, I was hoping that if I played well, I'd be able to get a shot, you know, with BYU or, you know, whoever really at a division one school and it worked out, you know, I was playing well, I, I was contributing to the team, making some plays and, um, I don't know, I guess two thirds of the way through the season or so BYU offered me, uh, from Gary Croton and the next week or like a week or two after they offered me, I tore my ACL, you know, at the end of a game <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, luckily they were, they were great. And, uh, you know, they, kept that scholarship offer. I went on my mission, came back, healed up and everything. And, uh, so yeah. And, you know, that was kind of the plan with, with Rick's to get back to your question is, uh, or, you know, BYU, Idaho yeah, <laughs> was that, uh, I'd be able to play one year and hopefully get an offer rather than spending a couple years in junior college. So it worked out. The ACL meant there was no basketball for you. You were going to do two sports there. It just didn't work out because of the ACL. But then you go mission 2002-2003, 4, 5, and 6 at BYU. And just I've got a, like two or three minutes left with you. But I mentioned those years, 4, 5, and 6. And I think about John Beck as much as I think about you. Uh, not just that one play, but about how he grew up in those years. And when he culminates and you together in 2006, uh, he'd gone through a lot. And um, I'm sure you appreciate all he went through to get to that point where you guys could combine on a play like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can really see when you're on, you know, a mem- you're a member of the football team and you can see how much each person contributes to the success or lack of success that you're having. And the quarterback is kind of the face of it. They get I, I mean, it, it, de- it certainly is the hardest job and probably the most single influential job. But Still, they get, uh, you know, they get a disproportionate amount of the blame and credit, you know, but that's, you know, I guess it kind of balances out, you know. So um, it's certainly just a part of being a team that, uh, you know, you kind of I remember so much. John took so much blame for when things were not going well. And I just, uh, you know, would sit there and think, you know, man, do people really realize like how much of this is not under his control? Um but, you know, for him to just kind of end up having the success that he did our last couple years um, was just awesome. You know, and it's just a lesson to me of, you know, you know, how to overcome adversity and, you know, working on the little things. Uh, all those great lessons that that football can provide are really kind of encapsulated in, in that uh, that growth that we had. In my last minute here, are you still in touch with uh, John occasionally? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, we, we text here and there. Um, you know, I need to, we need, I need to make a visit to him down in uh, San Diego. We've got some nice weather down there, so we're gonna have to make that happen too. But, you know, we talk here and there for sure. 30 seconds. Uh, how closely do you still follow the Cougars and how much are you hoping they, uh, get things flipped around here, maybe starting Friday against Boise? Well, yeah, I mean, BYU football is really the only, sports team that I really have any emotional investment in at this point. You know, I love watching, you know, NFL. I love watching all different sports, NBA. 
Um, but the, the only team that I really care if they win or not is BYU. So, uh, you know, we definitely are there pulling for them. They've got our support. And, uh, you know, it's I've been there where we struggled, and I hope that they, uh, they can get that figured out too. Thank you, Johnny. Great talking to you. Best of luck with your musical career and your professional career. And thanks for coming on Behind the Mic tonight. Absolutely. Thank you, Greg. All right. That's Johnny Harleen. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel. Our thanks to Yoli Childs, Blaine Fowler, and Johnny Harleen, my guests in Studio 2. We'll talk to you next Wednesday at 8 o'clock Eastern, 6 o'clock Mountain. Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel is heard on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, BYU org, and the BYU Radio app. Catch us on podcast. Listen to us on demand. We'll talk to you next Wednesday. Go Kooks.